And what is up, ladies and gentlemen? Gerald Valley here, and thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of The Drop. And I hope y'all been paying attention, because these guests have been blowing my mind. Everyone, everyone. You know, I come into the studio, and I'm fired up. Cause I, I, you know, I do my due diligence, and I'm, I'm excited. I'm like a little kid. You guys know that. You all know that. I'm like a little kid. I get to bring these freaking amazing people, and I get to interview them for you, for you to inspire you to get off your damn couch and make life happen. Cause it's not a dress rehearsal. And each and every guest proves that they, they freaking overdo it every single freaking time, every time. Every time, and today is no different. I have Mr. Joshua Real in studio today, and if you don't know who he is, well, I'm running my trap right now. Google him, because you will not get out of your seat. I guarantee it you won't get out of your seat. I was so fired up to get the introduction to him from a past guest, Mr. Rich Lund, and, you know, when you are, when you are operating in the right direction, when you are treating yourself right, when you are in love with where you're going with your life, the craziest doors open. A hundred percent of the time, opportunities that you could not even imagine will open for you. And having Joshua in studio today is one of those. I could have never predicted this. When we started the drop-in April 18th of this year, I could have never predicted the people that would walk through the door at the NRM studios. When you are doing the right things, when you are getting outside of yourself, when you are really falling in love with who you are, the craziest, craziest, awesomest opportunities happen. In this week, in my life, some of the most amazing doors are opening, and I'm just trying to stay out of my own way. Just trying to stay out of my own way and let it happen. Go with the flow. As uh, Michael A. Singer says, surrender to the flow of the universe and take advantage of the opportunities that pre- that are presented. And this uh, show today is one of those. You know, there's a movie that's been all over the place called The Russian Five, and I watched it a couple months ago, blown away. Blown away. I'm a hockey guy. I started playing hockey when I was four years old, goaltender at five, drafted in the junior hockey league at 14, played serious till I was like 21 years old. And when new hockey movies come out, I watch them. I thought Miracle was a great movie because I was eight years old sitting there watching that on live TV. I thought it was awesome. Slapshot classic, classic player coach Reg Dunlop. I still quote Slapshot all the time. And when I uh, turned on the Russian Five, you know, I didn't have any expectations. I really didn't. I'm like, let's watch it. I lived through this. I watched it. Blown away. One of the best hockey movies I've ever seen in my life. Uh, not only hockey. I don't even care if you like hockey. Watch the movie because there are so many interesting intricacies of how that whole thing happened. How Fedorov got here. How Kozlov got here. How uh, What was going on. Scotty Bowman. There were so many moving parts in that about 10-year period is what the movie covers. About a 10-year period. It is amazing. Amazing. So, if you have a chance, uh, watch it. Watch it. You're going to have a plenty of time over the holidays. Watch the movie. So, without any more of me 
getting you guys hyped, um, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine, Joshua Real. Josh, thank you so much for taking the time to come down here and visit with us today, brother. Thank you. Thank you for having me. That's uh, quite an intro. So, <laughs> well, let's hope we deliver. I, I get excited, and, and every guest, and I'm, I'm sure this will be no different, uh, we just have a good time. We have a conversation, talk about your evolution as a person, how, how you got to where you got to, and, uh, and, and hopefully people across the world are watching and can relate. They can relate to your story, my story, the different things that you had to go through to get to where you got to today and what's coming next. So, uh, how's the day been going? It's getting chilly outside, man. It has. Winter is definitely here. So... (laughs) We got bombed with ice down river a couple days ago, and it was like a skating rink, man. It sucked. Yeah, <laughs> missing Texas right now. So yeah, Texas is a beautiful state. But um, let's start right at the beginning. You know, you you grew up in Port Huron. How was that? Port Huron's an interesting town. That's a good word for it. Uh, yeah, Port Huron's an interesting town for sure. Um, yeah, you know, it's it was just. An interesting place, yeah. I'm trying to gather my thoughts on that because I mean, I had a bunch of great friends growing up, uh, and we just got into a lot of you know jackass type shit, you know, bored kids in the Midwest, um, and that's what we were. Now, I haven't spent a lot of time in Port Huron, and for those of you across the world, Port Huron, Michigan is shaped like a giant mitten, and Port Huron is right up going towards the thumb. There's a bridge right there in Canada. You can see Canada. Yeah. Um, uh, do you get a lot of Canadians over in the town? All the time, yeah. It's like, you know, when I was young, we had the shopping mall that the Canadians would come over because they'd do their shopping there, and then they'd go back. And so, you know, and then when you turn 19, that's the drinking age in Canada. So you have your 21st birthday legally over there if you grew up in Port Huron. So, you know, for me, by the time I was 21, I was kind of over it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting place. Well, I've seen, you know, for most of my life, Port Huron has been sort of middle of the road. It was never like at the top of its mm-hmm. game or at the bottom of its game. It's always been middle of the road. I played hockey there a few times, played hockey in Sarnia quite a bit. And um, and so I really just passed through most of the time. How was, uh, you know, elementary school, high school, you know, uh, is it a rural kind of thing, an inner city kind of thing? What kind of vibe is there? It's this weird like exurb, suburb type weird thing. I mean, it's a city, but yeah, I don't know. It's uh. You know, I went to the high school where it was uh, just a lot of working class kids. Um, and yeah, it was, you know, not a really fertile place for creative people, I think. That's why I think a lot of us left um, right away as soon as we could. Um, but, you know, I'm thankful for the people that I know from there and grew up with. And, you know, my family's still there. I think it's a beautiful place to visit, it's a very strange place to, to grow up in. And St. Clair Community College is up in that area, correct? That is true. I'll tell you what, um, I was a part of an art program. They mm-hmm. were doing a skateboard deck art thing, and I was the guy who picked the winner and tried to you know, prop it up so more people would show up. And uh, that college is pretty cool for a community college. They have like a uh, uh, little history museum and stuff. It, it's in, in the, the view, mm. being right on the water with all the yeah. boats right there. Pretty impressive. I was impressed. Yeah, I went, I went there for a couple semesters. So yeah, it's a good people there too. 
Yeah, I, I I enjoyed it the little bit I was there, and uh, I just thought, wow, this community college because they have it set up very nicely. Now, when you were in high school, yeah, um, let's talk a little bit how you got into movie making because it it was uh, early on that you you got your first camera and started uh, shooting film. What? Uh, let's talk about that evolution a little bit. Well, uh, Rich actually, the guest who introduced us, um, you know, he, he was one of my closest friends and they all had a band and I was not musical so while everyone else was getting guitars and drums and all that I got a camera so I would film their their shows and their practices and then I started shooting other bands and then um, I actually got my first paid job going out shooting Taproot from Ann Arbor mm-hmm. on Ozfest and their first major tour um, so I went on the road with them for like three months uh, and so, Not a bad first gig. No, Taproot you know, Tapper was a pretty big deal. Yeah, it was. It was an amazing experience. Uh, you know, just living in a tour bus for three months as a seventeen turned eighteen on the road. Um, and then when I came back, you know, Richie was like, "Hey, I've had these ideas. You know how to make them happen. Like, do you want to make something together?" And so we made these two little, uh, you know, films. I guess you want to call them in Port Huron. Uh, that were just sort of like what bored white kids in rural Port Huron area do. Um, it was like sort of inspired by you know Jackass, Big Brother, CKY, that kind of stuff. Um, but it was kind of before Jackass became popular, so it was uh, yeah, low budget, and I don't know, we were just messing around, and they were fun little experiments to make, and uh, yeah, you know, we probably sold a couple hundred copies on VHS, so somewhere out there they're floating around and hopefully uh, they never resurface. Well, it was a different time back then because things didn't just go straight to YouTube. You know, right, if you wanted right. to distribute it, you had to, you know, find somebody who could duplicate it, you know, put some well, labels on it, whatever the case is. That's the thing, you know, if YouTube existed when we were in high school, like the trajectory would have probably been completely different. But yeah, it was a thing where, you know, each skip little segment probably would have fit perfectly as a, a clip on YouTube, but it was a whole structured thing, and we dubbed VHS tapes, and we sold them at music shows for 10 15 bucks, whatever. Um, and, you know, once in a while, people would be like, hey, this one's blank, because the dub <laughs> wouldn't work out, right? But, um, and then, like, yeah, you know, we made the first one, and there was, like, this weird demand for, like, more, so we made a second one, and... Yeah, and then Richard kind of went off to college and, and fell into teaching. And so, you know, plans for a third one were kind of jettisoned because, you know, he didn't want to risk getting arrested. And we were kind of reaching that point where it was like, if we're going to keep doing this, we should push the envelope. And so, uh, yeah. And Rich is doing some cool stuff. He's now, doing some ex- cool it stuff. It explains a lot because his hip hop videos yeah. that are about science, he's a chemistry teacher. You can see all about him on a past episode of the drop in. But the the production value is good. The lyrical content is good. He does a great job with the videos yeah. he puts together. He really took to it when we were, you know, we'd sit together in my, my bedroom and edit for hours on, on end, you know. And he really quickly picked up the software and, and slowly but surely picked up sort of some of the, a lot of the concepts. And, and yeah, he, it was fun to work with him. Uh, 
you know, and I'm, it's it's cool to see these videos that he's doing and, and proud of him. So uh, he, he's a, he's a weirdo. So he's a rad dude. I met him through skateboarding, and uh, when a new video comes out, I'll get a text. Hey, G, check this one out. Yeah. And I always watch him, and I'm totally blown away. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I really am. Now, if you were skateboarding with him, you know, 20 years ago or so, he probably would have been selling you a copy of these films. <laughs> and and I want to ask more about the films because where did, the, where did the, the names I'm actually intrigued by? Suck the Cool Right Out and uh, Almost Evil 665. Interesting because when I was going to Wayne State University, yeah. there was the uh, 655 Boys okay. and it was a punk house where all the cool punkers hung out and all the parties were. So as soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh, it's 665, not 655. But right. where did the names come from? If Richie came up with them, you know, Suck the Cool Right Out, I think was just sort of this thing there you know we always used to joke there's nothing to do in Port Huron and so we're like well we're going to find the most stupid ridiculous things to do and we're going to suck the cool out of it um, and then you know Almost Evil 665 is just like 666 is evil so if you're 665 you're not quite evil <laughs> and so you know that when we were trying to push the envelope and, and do some things that were a little out there um, and yeah now, now, did you copyright any of this stuff? Because the the now that you explained to me what sucked the cool right out is, I like that. Like <laughs> I could take that and run. Like that's the, I try to find the good, the cool, in almost everything I do, regardless of right. what it is. So I really actually like that name quite a bit. Well, I, who knows what Richard did? <laughs> I'll, I'll shoot him a text yeah. after the show and check it out. Yeah. But so you're you're making videos in mm. school and. Uh, you had a, a pretty life-changing injury. How did that happen? Yeah, so it was actually, you know, my plans after making those and, and doing OzFest, and I, I wanted to leave the state. I wanted to go to NYU. Uh, it was a great film school. It's an expensive film school. So uh, my plan was to do like a year of community college at actually St. Clair County Community College, as you mentioned. And um, it was actually the end of the first semester, and I was driving to class, and I was in a fender bender car accident. Didn't really think much of it, but uh, after that, my back started aching, and then come to find out, I basically had a small fracture. Um, but because I didn't find out for a while, it, the disc degenerated. So uh, I ended up having to have surgery. They uh, took the disc out, put in titanium screws and rods, um, the whole fusion thing. Uh, I was laid up for a while. Uh, you know, recovered, thought I recovered, tried to go back to school, and the titanium just was irritating the body. So they took that out, and then scar tissue developed. So it was like a six-year period where I had three surgeries before they kind of fixed me up. Um, and, yeah, it was... Uh, it was a really educational time, I suppose. Well, life-changing, especially at that age, that yeah. that very, very significant time of your life. But you really, uh, one, I want to ask, because you took that time. I mean, what else can you do at a lot right. of that time? But you started studying film. Yeah. Um, I mean... I, I, when I read that in your bio, I'm like, that's incredible at that time, you know, to think about that. But you already had the bug. You already knew right. you were passionate about movies. Right. So what kind of, uh, what directors were you digging at that time? All of them. You know, I would be, like, I'd take Kurosawa and I'd go find his first movie and I'd watch every movie in order. And then I would do, you know, Fellini or Bergman or Fassbender or Herzog or, you know, Altman or, you know, Kubrick all of them, basically. I mean, I had enough time. <laughs> and so, those are uh, so many, every, almost every name you just mentioned, 
almost carved their own path. Yeah. You know, they had their own style. They weren't, you know, running with the herd, so to speak. Uh, that that's. I mean, that's a freaking like college class all in itself. Any one of those right. folks. Right. And so to watch their whole, uh, you know, their whole catalog. I mean, that's an amazing education. Yeah, no, it was. It, it kept me sane for sure. You know, I'm thankful for the folks of the Criterion Collection. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, um, so you break your spine. You're going through all this stuff. You're, you're, you know, it's getting a little crazy. How do you end up working with Frontline and PBS? Like, how does that evolve? Because you have the passion to make films. Right. You go through this part of your life where it's hit and miss because you're going through surgeries. You can't really dedicate years or, or make plans because right. you're not sure how you're going to work out. How, how did that evolution happen? Well, so after the third surgery, um, I did physical therapy really hardcore for a year. And then I moved to Texas, uh, to go to the University of Texas at Austin. Um, they have a fantastic film program. And I just knew that I needed to be in a warm climate. Um, the, the cold causes, you know, physical pain with the, the fused spine. Uh, it's like an arthritic bone thing. If anyone has that, they kind of know what I'm talking about. And so, uh, yeah, I went down there. And, you know, my first semester of film classes, I, I made a short film about this case, about a guy who was executed for uh, what was actually an accidental fire, and the prosecutors claimed it was an arson uh, that killed his three baby daughters. Um, and so I made a short film on that, and there was a director who she was she wanted to make a feature-length film, so she came to Texas, and um, my professor, chair of the film department, kind of made the introduction to me and Jesse Dieter. And then um, while we were making that, Frontline acquired it to you know basically go oh make it fit this format and so you know while i was still in school i had a, you know the season premiere of the 2010 season of pbs frontline under my belt which was pretty cool um and you know gave me fellowships and opportunities uh while i was at the university um yeah this is pretty cool experience well, in getting into documentary-type movies, you didn't lose focus of your comedy edge because while you were at UT, and now we have YouTube, you start yeah. with a, a, a comedy, like, satirical kind of thing. <laughs> Where did this come from? Well, it came out of a joke um, about, you know, like, well, competitive eating to me is, like, the most obscene display of American Consumption that you well, can I, have. I will say I don't miss the Fourth of July, like Coney Island thing. Yeah. And my main, my favorite thing is the MC. Like I watch him. The guy with the straw hat. Yes, I, I love everything about him, and and I, I I love the opening and the way he like just he raps and he makes jokes and he in because I love MC and events. Yeah. So I'm studying the masters, yeah. you know, and I love that part of it. The eating, whatever, with that. But you're exactly right. It's well, it's it's America in a well, nutshell. Right, and so I wanted to kind of make some sort of satirical thing about it, and. and Facebook had just sort of, it was just in the process of moving from only if you had a university account to more public. And so, you know, it was the very infantile stages of, of social media that we know today. Instagram actually came, arrived while we were in the, making the show thing. But I kind of saw where everything was going and, and kind of figured if we created this character, sort of like a Borat type character, um, of the most absurd thing that we can think of, a competitive eater, we can tell this weird, 
you know, silly satirical story through all these platforms. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to uh, kind of find Joel Keith, uh, this incredible actor um, from Cold Town Theater. And he went on this insane journey with me for five years of like inhabiting the, the entirety of this character and in becoming him and you know, uh, rupturing his stomach, <laughs> vomiting blood after eating 43, 44 Chick-fil-A nuggets, or 53, excuse me, I don't want to shortchange him. Um, and then, like, you know, becoming uh, the cover boy of the Austin Chronicle, where only half of the people know that it's a thing and other people don't, um, and, and fooling cable channels that, that are on the cooking channel, uh, where they're shooting with him and they think he's real, and, and they shoot three times and it's only on the third time where someone let slip like Todd is Joel and it was this really weird journey and, and I think unfortunately for us because it was so high concept and sort of out there for the time no one really wanted to take a chance on it to, to develop it for TV or the places where we could have made some real money um, and that kind of was what eventually kind of killed it was you know you spend five years on something and if it's not seeing any fruits of the labor um yeah, it's hard to keep going. So, well, in time, you know, life gets in the way. Different things happen, and right. you're like, you know, I, I need to devote time to this, this, and this. We don't have as much if it's not paying the bills or whatever the case is. Exactly. So, yeah, but it was a fun, it was a fun thing, and it really kind of, you know, I was able to kind of pair my documentary skills because we shot it like a documentary. Um, and when we would go into spaces, nobody would know that Hungry Todd Rungi was an actor playing a character they just think it was Hungry Todd Rungi and I'm shooting it like a doc um, with like oh, and it sounds kind of crazy but you know then we're talking about Suck the Core right out and Almost Evil that sort of like let's just go out with an idea and sort of let it evolve in space and with people and realness and, and see what we can kind of get out of it and that was something that was part of the ethos that Richard and I kind of created of Suck the Core right out of how we would approach it and so I kind of forced that into Todd Rungi, and sometimes it drove Joel fucking crazy. Because <laughs> he'd be like, why are we just talking to people for three or four hours and not doing anything? And it's always like, you know, in the third or fourth hour when all of a sudden the manager of the bar that you're at is like, hey, I heard you're a competitive eater, and I'm going to buy porno hot wings, and if you can eat them in 20 minutes, I'm going to give you a T-shirt. You know, like, and that's that happens. And then so all of a sudden you have a scene in this character, who's not a real competitive eater, but he's competitively eating, for a real crowd, because you know, all of a sudden there's like 20 people surrounding him, cheering him on, and believing in this magic that we're making, you know. And, and it's, it's, I don't know. To me, that's like, that's the most fun that you can have telling stories, is when you are telling them in spaces and incorporating other people's experiences with them. Um, and it was a really awesome time to play with that format and that idea. And, you know, uh, if there were ever an opportunity to revive that, I think Joel and I would definitely talk about it if there's money. But um, at the very least, like that concept, that, you know, highbrow sort of highbrow, lowbrow, if you will. Right. You know, if, if we're going to take something and do it in a really kind of new way that no one's thought of, but we're going to do it about something really crass and, and, and you know, base such as shove. I mean, he, he, I'm not joking. He really did bleed from eating 53 Chick Fil A nuggets. Um, it was, 
you know, but we incorporated it into the story, and we, you know, we rolled on it, and you know, the the reality became part of the fiction, which was real. You know, so. Right, and at a certain point, I'm sure even the viewer, even when they found out that this was an actor playing a character, right. uh, it would be hard to separate what was what was real and what was fiction. Yeah, our initial cut of like the pilot was so immersive that people weren't getting into the story because they were like, "Wait a minute, is this is this real? Is what's going on?" You know, it was like this whole scene where. We bullshitted our way into access at the Texas uh, Round Rock Express, the the Texas uh, Rangers AAA affiliate. Mm-hmm. Um, that we were, you know, Todd was important, and he was like, he wanted to give the team a pep talk and all this stuff. And you know, they gave us all access passes, and then we ended up in the locker room after the game. And he's like, you know, I'm a competitive eater, and one of his <laughs> players is like, bullshit, like. Can you do the cracker challenge? And so he gives them six saltines. He's like, Can you eat them in 60 seconds? And, like, you know, because <laughs> the character was like, Yeah, I'll do whatever. Joel's like, All right, let's do this. And, you know, the trick is it's a saliva thing, it's not even a real feat of competitive eating. But, you know, it, that was real. And, and we filmed the scene, and these players are just like, What the, what is this guy? What is it? And, you know, he, in the crowd and he's starting the wave and he's doing all these things and he's just like creating experiences. That is, I think it's brilliant. I really do. Especially blurring those lines between truth and fiction because... Well, that's where we are right now (laughs) with everything, so... Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, We're sitting here with Joshua Real and, um, you know, you end up getting an opportunity with a film called The uh, An Unreal Dream. Yeah. And I'm interested to hear about how that happened because I started looking it up and see where it's at. And it's done some pretty cool stuff, the film it, itself. How did you get involved with uh, Al Reiner? Yeah, so actually, it's a, it's a funny story. It's very Al. Um, and I was trying to do a short film on, actually, this story for uh, the, the, this class at the University of Texas, actually, with Paul Steckler. Um, I'd taken the class, actually, twice before, and I told Paul, like, if there's any, if there's any stories, I'm going to that are fine, I'm going to do your class a third time. And I found the story, so I was trying to get access to Michael. And his lawyer kept saying, someone else has got the story, someone else has got the story. But I was persistent, and one day I got an email from Al, who's like, hey, you know, good news, bad news. Uh, bad news is, is I've been nominated for an Oscar twice, I already have the story, you're not getting it from me. Good news is, is you know, I need someone to help out, and you're persistent, so let's have coffee. Uh, and so I met up with Al, and, you know, he's... Al was just a gem of a human being. Um, and we just hit it off, and he took me under his wing kind of for the next, I mean, three or four years. And, uh, yeah, we made two films together. I helped produce on them. Uh, associate produced An Unreal Dream and then uh, co-produced uh, the Audubon film, which was his last film, unfortunately, that he finished. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just, I mean, he was a, a genius of documentary and storytelling. He was one of the writers of Apollo 13 uh, in his first documentary film for all mankinds kind of considered the quintessential space documentary so um, to have the honor and privilege to just learn from him uh, I think you know informs kind of the filmmaker and storyteller that I am now and yeah it's just I mean I could just go on for hours talking about just Al he was just a great person well, and up to this point, you know, I opened the show talking about when you're living your purpose, mm. when you are when you are really passionate about life, 
the opportunities come right. and and there are opportunities you can't imagine right. you know you you just can't even begin to i mean i'm sure three four five years before that you may have saw an al reiner film but not think oh i'm gonna work with that guy right and then all of a sudden it happens there is a uh you've been all over the news lately for the last <laughs> i don't know six eight months um uh, i opened talking about the russian five and the film is amazing it is put together great. The everything about it, I, I love it, and I know um, we have the trailer here. We're going to check out the trailer before we get into talking about it a little bit. Um, the, the the movie was awesome. I love the animation, the interviews, how it intertwines the life stories. Let's check out this trailer real quick, uh, and then we'll get back to it. When you haven't won a Stanley Cup for 40 years, I don't care how much talent you may or may not have, you're an underdog. The team I took over in 1982 was in the Detroit River, quite frankly. I don't mean to be rude or anything, but you don't have any kind of a hockey club. I knew that there were good players in Russia. The problem was there was an iron curtain. There's no book, you know, you couldn't go anywhere and say, okay, how do you get a guy to defect? I knew one guy that spoke Russian. I get to Helsinki, I notice a guy, I'm convinced he was their KGB guy. Literally, we're making it up as we went along. I said, Sergey, this money's yours if you leave now. It was interesting for me, it was like a little bit exciting. My home phone rings, and it's some guy from the State Department. Do you know the whereabouts of Sergey Fedorov? Which I basically said, yes. Very quickly, you're like, hey, this guy's pretty good, you know? One of the most talented players I ever saw in my life. Scotty Bowman knew one thing, that the Russian game is played in five-man units. First time in NHL history, five Russian guys playing in the same unit. I said, let's go. They played a different style. It was keep away. I mean, literally, they would play keep away. No way! What is this, hockey night in Canada or hockey night in Russia? Hasta la vista, baby. People questioned Scotty Bowman. They questioned if we could get it done. They're coming over. They're going to have to play the Canadian way. They're going to have to toughen up. <laughs> it's way beyond hockey. American, Canadian, Swedish, Russian. They're all Red Wings! None of this matters unless we win. That puts goosebumps on me. It really does. Those guys change the game. They they completely change everything. The rules, the way the game's played, the way it's coached. Yeah. How did you get involved in this production? Oh, that's a question. <laughs> uh, well, so, you know, when I was going through my back surgeries and stuff, my grandparents got me a Konstantinov jersey, and that was kind of a... One of the moments where I was like, okay, I can get through this. Um, you know, I had to wear hockey jerseys because I had to brace after each surgery while the muscles heal and the incision uh, stitches heal. And then, uh, you know, so the story, I knew how inspirational it was, and that kind of was sitting in my mind. I grew up with the story, so it's it's there. It's part of, part of uh, yeah, just what I wanted to do. And actually, while I was making an Unreal Dream with Al... Uh, while we were driving around East Texas, actually, uh, headed to Corsicana, which is actually where I worked on the other film with Jesse, he asked me, you know, what's the story you want to tell? And I told him the story of the Russian Five and, you know, very broad strokes of this happens and this happens and da-da-da. 
And he was just like, you know, by the time I finished, he was like, you have to go make this film. So he actually, you know, I, who knows if he was joking or not, because it's, you know, that's just sort of a sense of humor. But he threatened to stop hiring me if I didn't at least attempt to make the film. And so, you know, I started writing letters to everyone involved, just saying, hey, I, I'm a documentary filmmaker. I know the story. I grew up with it. I'd like to tell it. And actually, it was Jim Lights, uh, who's, you know, one of the, the gentlemen who helps defect Sergey and is featured in the trailer. Uh, he's currently the CEO of the Dallas Stars, and he was the president of the Stars at the time. But the point is, is he was in Dallas, and I was in Austin, and the NHL was in a lockout. And so he gave me a call one day. He's like, hey, if you're serious about this, why don't you drive up by 35 and let's have a chat, you know? And so I did, and, you know, I pitched him the idea. He was like, I'm in, I'm down. Uh, what do you need? And, you know, you want to say money, <laughs> but you're like, well, I access at this point. So, you know, he connected me with Jimmy D and with Steve Eiserman, and, and slowly, you know, you reach out to people and slowly you get buy-in, and then I had to pitch the Russians. And basically, like, the Russians were like, if Igor's in, the rest of us are in. And so for Igor to be in, he had to see a teaser. Once he saw the teaser, he was in. And then once they were all in, the original person who said they would fund the film was out and disappeared. And so, you know, I basically ended up with this whole project ready to go without any money, but I'm in Austin, Texas, and trying to get a film about Russian hockey players saving the Detroit Red Wings franchise in Texas wasn't happening. So four years ago, I packed up all my stuff and moved back home. Well, you bring up a few names that I, I recognize quite a bit. Uh, Igor Larionov, I, I was very lucky to meet him and Ted Lindsay together uh, yeah. uh, one day, and they were both just amazing people. Yeah, just humble, great to talk to, just super rad dudes. And Mr. Lights, mm -hmm. uh, and I'm pretty sure it's the same Lights, uh, he wanted a team in the league I played in, the North American Junior Hockey League, okay. for one year. And uh, they were called the Lights Rustlers. <laughs> And I have the jerseys because yeah. I was one of three goalies to ever play for that team. Interesting. And the jersey is hanging in my garage right now. <laughs> but so you had this idea. You moved back to Detroit. How do you how do you move forward with it? Well, uh, fortunately, you know, I I had saved up. I thought I had enough for a year to like live and figure it out. And rent had increased, so it was like really about six seven months. Uh, and within a couple months, my friends Chris and Rob uh, from Get Super Rad introduced me to Jenny Fedorovich, who they had just worked with. And they're like, she's Russian, it's Russian Five, maybe she can help you. And I pitched Jenny the film, and she was like, I'm in. And so she brought in Dan Milstein, uh, who executive produced the film. And, you know, this process started in like July, August, just meeting, you know, meeting and then talking and following up. And what year are we talking here so our viewers can understand the time frame? 15. Okay, so we're talking four years ago. Yeah, four years ago. I think that's right. Uh, <laughs> at any rate, yes. a few years back. Yeah, and then, um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, by November, we were shooting. Yeah, we were at Sergei Fedorov's Hall of Fame induction and interviewing Scotty and Brendan Shanahan. And then, you know, that Christmas we were in Moscow interviewing those guys. And then, you know, you finish shooting and you go into post-production and sometimes, you know, there are issues with that and, you know, just figuring that out. And uh, actually, we ended up taking the film back to Austin, Texas, where, you know, I went to film school to work with people that I went to film school with just because we had a hard time finding 
editors in Michigan who knew how to tell a story like this. And you know, but yeah, it was uh, it was quite a journey. Very much so. Anybody uh, just totally against it, against what any any of the characters, and not to throw anybody under the bus at all. But were there gentlemen? I know you said the the Russians that if Igor's in, we're in. Right. Were there any other players that you really had to like, you know, wine and dine to get them to be a part of it? No, actually. Good. I mean, it was once Igor kind of came on board, it was it was actually quite easy to get everyone else on board. Um, you know, Igor is so well respected in the league, um, and as a human well, being, right? I mean, rightfully so too. You know, and so it, it's it's a thing where it became oh well. I mean, you know, when Scotty was our our first interview, so when you tell people, yeah, we've Scotty's already talked. That's you know that's sort of a, a stamp of approval. The best coach ever in the NHL. Yeah. Ever. So, you know, it was, you know, for all these guys, the story is a really important moment of all of their lives. And you know, I think the initial hesitation was just making sure that we were going to do justice to it and, mm-hmm. and honor their their legacy. And once they realized that we, I was going to at least do the best I could. And, and attempt that, then they they all bought in, and so you know honestly the hardest part with that with these guys was just scheduling, because they're super busy. You know Steve Eiserman was the general manager of the Tampa Bay Lightning at the time, so you have to wait till the off season, and you have to wait till he's home, you know for five days in the off season. You got to squeeze him in, and, you know, an afternoon and, and get him in and out, and you know you're waiting for that, or Igor's in and out of the country, and, and all that thing. Like logistics was honestly the hardest part, just because these guys are super busy. Um, once they said yes, it, you know we knew that they'd do it. It was just a matter of figuring out the time, and you know unfortunately there's a couple of guys who we missed just because timing ran out, and you know it's they say the film's never done. You just run out of time, and uh, yeah. Well, so. I think you captured the story great. I mean, some of the captions in that trailer are no joke. A hundred minutes of sheer brilliance. That was my favorite quote I saw. Yeah, that I'm is sure the, to get that one. <laughs> it is the truth, though. It, it really is. The whole movie, I knew the story, too. I grew up with it. I didn't know all the details of the story, yeah. so I learned quite a bit. But the way the movie moves along, there is never a dull moment. Yeah. And there's ups, downs. It's, it's all over the map. But you do a great job. My biggest question halfway through the movie is where can you end it? Where do you stop it? Because there there's, you know, the first cup, the second yeah. cup, but there's there's a whole lot more to that story. Yeah. There could be five parts to that. Uh, the uh, what the Russian five did in Detroit for the NHL. I mean, you could really put a whole series together of their impact. Yeah, I mean, you know, and the stories that we had to leave on the cutting room floor. You know, it could have filled another 30, 40 minutes. It's it's, yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know. I'm just fortunate that we've been able to have the success that we've had, and people have seen it. Um, yeah, you always want to have your vision, your version out there, but this one's pretty close to it, uh, that, you know, other than a few things that I still wish we could tweak and add and Dougie Brown should be in there, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now prior to this, um, you were associate producer with Reinhardt and stuff yeah. and, and you directed the Russian five. Right. What is the big difference between being a producer and being a director? Well, so the director is basically the creative engine and vision for the project. Um, producer can be a catch all phrase for so many things, you know, so, for, you know, on this film, I think we had like six producers. 
you know, Jenny was a producer who she went out and got the money. And when we needed the animation to happen, she figured out who to talk to and who to put in contact with the director so that I could communicate what I needed with, you know, with the artists. Um, you know, the producer could be someone who's setting up the logistics for a shoot. Um, we had a you know, gentleman who helped out with that kind of thing where he'd, he'd make introductions. And um, yeah, it, it can be someone who goes and gets coffee. And, but works their ass off so hard that you're like, well, they're not a PA, but let's give them, a, you know, an associate producer credit. Or it could be someone who, you know, with Al, it was a thing where they already had a full, like, slate of producers. And he's like, look, you deserve a co-producer credit on this, but I can only give you an associate producer credit, but next one I'm going to pay you more. And I was like, that's good with me, you know, as a, uh, you know, film student at the time. Um, so, yeah, it's just, a, you know, Producer can be a catch-all, but the director is the one who's who's. It's their vision. They're kind of calling. You know, you're saying call the shots, and I don't know if you call the shots necessarily because in you know our case, you know Jenny is a producer. There are a lot of things, especially after the film was done, that it was appropriate for to let her call the shots, and so I just kind of got out of the way. You know, I'm not a business person, so when it came time to figuring out the deals for the business and the, you know all that, she's calling the shots on that. My job's done. You know. I show up now and I talk about it. Um, so it's, you know, it, I don't know, and that's part of the process, I think, is learning where your roles are and where your strengths are and then filling your team. And that's something that the director is generally responsible for, is filling the team with the right pla- pieces in the right places. So, yeah. And I, you know, Cole Seeger, Bob Seeger's son, visited our show uh, in uh, actually the first episode of season two, and he is a a filmmaker as well, director. And I asked him a similar question, and he said the same thing. You know, he's like, you have to put the right team together. Yep. It's it's not just one thing, and that's in life. In yeah. life, you get the right people around you, man, you can take it over, yeah. take it over completely. A few weeks ago, we had Darren McCarty in yeah. studio, and you guys have been doing quite a bit of promo traveling. Yeah. Doing different things. How has the film been uh, accepted around the world? You're just in Israel. Darren and I were just in Israel with uh, Jenny, our, our producer, and Slava Fatisov, uh, Papa Bear. That was an incredible, insane experience. It was one of the most complicated Q and A's we've ever done because there were three languages involved and uh, I think extra levels of moderation and, and interpretation. But it was, you know, it was fun. Um, Darren's just a, an amazing person, and that's, it's honestly been an incredible honor to get to know him as a human being and sort of see him in his recovery from alcohol and, and see him where he is right now, his path in life. And it's it's really cool to just see someone just being so totally themselves and and, and living every moment and, and loving it and just owning it. Um, and, yeah, I'm really happy for him. And I don't know, it's just been really... Surreal, you know, to, you know, here's a guy who, you know, I grew I was, you know, watching him score the game winning goal in the Stanley Cup when I was 14, 15 years old. And now we are, you know, floating the Dead Sea. It's a strange life for sure. But, uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, I pinch myself all the time because I feel very similar. You yeah. know, after I got done with the show with Darren, having you sit here, you know, I pinch. My, I'll be, I'll be on, like going a million miles an hour till eleven thirty tonight yeah. because <laughs> actually I'm going to get on the ice after here okay. and stop some hockey pucks. Nice, but uh, it, it really is. It, it's awesome when you are living your purpose and living your dream, and and you get to float around the Dead Sea with people like Darren McCarty. Yeah, you know, it was 
the whole trip was weird. You know, we're the first night we're watching them play, him and Slava play hockey, and then we're having a conversation with, you know, Slava Fatisov is arguably one of the like the greatest figures in international hockey. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I tell people like by comparison, he's the Michael Jordan of of hockey, and I don't even know if that is if fully, not even more. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, he's like the you know the fucking Beatles in a way, and so you know to get to hang out with him as well that weekend and you know have a conversation with him about climate change and here's a guy who like is is seeing the stuff firsthand and telling someone like Darren who he's just like saying Darren this is fucked up like places where I grew up and used to be able to play as a child that used to have ice are not getting ice anymore something is happening and so when it comes from someone of that stature you're like okay well, maybe we should pay attention. So I had that conversation. And then, you know, dinner at the Russian ambassador's house was just like, what are we doing here? Right. You know? That's surreal. And yeah, I'm probably getting our phones bugged for all we know. <laughs> but, uh, and then, yeah, just to have the screening. And we went to Jerusalem with them. And, and you know, it's funny because we're in the temple where, you know, supposedly Christ's body was buried and then laid out. And, it's funny because Jerusalem, it's kind of like religious Disneyland, right? There's like everyone's just flocking for this pilgrimage and taking pictures and all this stuff. And so everyone's taking their selfies or their pictures in the, this temple. And then all, these, all of a sudden I see these like three Russians recognize Slava Fatisov and lose their shit. <laughs> and they get selfies with him in front of Christ's tomb. And I was like, that is so crazy like it's so surreal this like this moment where like he's that big where they're like oh it's the jesus of hockey and now you're right um but yeah i mean and he's he's funny he's wickedly funny so we would you know we're driving back and forth from events and stuff he's cracking jokes in the van and keeping mac on his toes and i don't know i was joking that you know a good a good pitch for a show is just take darren mccarty nobody steal this but take darren mccarty and take him to hang out with guys from his championship teams for a week. Take him to Russia with Slava. Take him to Sweden with Nick Lidstrom. You know, like, just every episode would be a different hang. Because uh, at least watching him in Slava, there was like a buddy comedy in the making there. Right on. You know, yeah. and, and hockey players are, are always, they've been known forever to be very blue-collar, very yeah. modest. I was fortunate to spend a birthday of mine wakeboarding with Nick Lidstrom and his family. Yeah. And what the raddest thing was is, is Nick, his family was awesome. Awesome, awesome. But Nick is up there working the rope, pulling it in, and him and I are talking about vitamin supplements and how to stay healthy. Yeah. Like, we're talking shop. You yeah. know, he's thinking, I'm crazy because I'm pro skateboarder. And I'm like, dude, you're Nick Lidstrom. Come on, man. Yeah. And uh, just such a down to earth, great sense of humor, you know, having a conversation like you were talking about, climate change with. I don't think even Michael Jordan, the Michael Jordan of hockey, is a good uh, analogy because, uh, I mean, dude is, I mean, there's arguably no other hockey player that had a bigger impact on the world. Right, right. No, and, absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 amazing, amazing. Through this whole process, is there any? I mean, it sounds like it's all a highlight, but is there any <laughs> one one event, one highlight that stands out above anything else? I mean, you talked about Jerusalem. I mean, so yeah. many great things. I don't I don't even know if that's a good question. <laughs> uh, there is though, um, and it's 
you know, for me, so, you know, Vladimir Konstantinov was sort of the reason where I kept pushing through and, and my back surgeries and, and getting better. And so, you know, we made it an effort from the beginning to sort of find a way to give back to him. Um, and so, like, 5% of the film's proceeds uh, will go to him. Um, we've, we have a limited edition watch line that we teamed up with someone to sell that we're hopefully going to raise some money for him. And our... our Theatrical premiere was like a benefit for him at the Imagine in Royal Oak. And so Vladdy showed up, Darren was there, Dave Coulier was there, um, it was really cool. And I got to finally watch the movie with them. Um, and so it was Dave Coulier and his wife and their friends, and then Vladdy and his daughter and his caretaker, uh, and me in the skybox. And, you know, it was cool to see, like, every laugh line that, you know, we carefully crafted and like okay, I think we think we're gonna get a laugh here Dave laughed at we're like cool all right got him got him and then what I didn't expect though was when Vladdy would see guys that he played with so like Steve Eisenman's one of the first faces that come up, comes up in the first act and he just goes Stevie Stevie and throughout the rest of the movie when he'd see someone his memory would click and he'd be like kosher kosher or, or Darren Darren and when Don Cherry came on the screen, I don't know what he said because he started grunting in Russian to his daughter, but it was very aggravated, you know, and then she'd be like, it's okay. And so I was really kind of enjoying this experience of like realizing that something, you know, whatever's left inside of, of who he was, was being recognized. And I realized that the accident is coming up. They, as they're winning the first cup and I'm like oh this, how is he going to respond to this and before we can get to that scene when we when they win the cup we have we are the champions playing we actually had to go through a whole thing to you know I had to write Brian May a letter explaining like I want this because of this reason that when he, Vladdy was in the coma he they would sing and play we are the champions for him it was his favorite song and when they would do that he would squeeze fingers his, his vitals would go up a little bit so I was wrote Brian May it's like I need this song this is an important plot point it's not a because it's a sports film etc so they actually gave it to us for an incredibly reasonable price um, and the moment the song started playing in the film Vladdy started singing along in in the skybox and I don't know how he responded to the accident because I left because I started to get goosebumps and like get weepy and I had to do the Q&A so I was like I gotta go compose myself this is it was just so I mean you can use the word surreal but there's like I don't think there's a word for what's beyond that and that experience was something beyond that it was sort of out of body um, to just know in fact that you made something that triggered something in someone who meant something to you and so many other people um, in a way that he hasn't really been triggered in 20 years. Um, and triggered's maybe not the right word, but um, activated, I guess. And, you know, that sort of reminds you of the power of storytelling and, and the, just how it's a device for communication. And so you, it's a way to communicate with this guy who otherwise can't really communicate. And it's allowed him to communicate a way back. And, I mean, nothing will top that. 
as far as I'm concerned on this project. And floating the Dead Sea was awesome, you know. Uh, hanging with Darren and Slava in the old city of Jerusalem was once in a lifetime, as far as I'm aware, experience, you know. But that, something else, you know. Well, impacting somebody who had such a positive impact on your life, mm. um, just a phenomenal feeling. I mean, I'm getting watery-eyed over here just <laughs> listening to it because so many people uh, in this community, in southeastern Michigan and around the world, were impacted by the accident. Yeah, and yeah it's, it's, it was just devastating. I mean, top of the world to instantaneously be uh, shut off, really. Yeah. I mean, really, it's... Uh, uh, and I think you told the story great. Thank you. And to have him sitting there, uh, I can't even imagine like sitting there and hearing him sing next to me. I'd lose it. It, it was. It, it was. It was. That was the one Q and A where every question I basically would like volleyed over to Jenny. I was like, uh, Jenny's got a good answer on this because I didn't want to talk that night. I was just sort of overwhelmed. Yeah. But yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I don't know. In, in a, a series of really fortunate experiences that was definitely one of the ones that made all the bullshit that we went through to make the thing worth it yeah and to be honest there were points where we weren't sure if there was ever going to be a moment that would have made all the bullshit worth it so you know i'm thankful that life decided to prove otherwise yeah that's awesome that is awesome when you're not uh making movies what do you do to chill out relax i don't know what that means <laughs> I mean, this has been my life full time for, I mean, since I moved back to Detroit, really. Um, so, I mean, in the summer, I love to bike. I'll, I'll put 70 miles a week on my bike, just zipping through the city of Detroit and looking for just photographs and, and things to see. Um, winter is kind of hard for that, so that's why I miss Texas or I think about going back down there in the winter often because uh, there's just an incredible film community down there and it's something that you know Detroit needs to grow and hopefully over time it can but you know it's you do realize that you know when you're in a space with other people who are doing the same thing as you it creates an energy and when you move to a place that there's not as much of that and everyone who's trying to do that is also trying to hustle commercial and all that kind of stuff and so the energy kind of becomes this weird diffused approach uh, it's hard but. Yeah, I'm a huge proponent of common consciousness, yeah. you know, and Napoleon Hill calls it like mastermind group. When you get a group of people, you know, five people with a common goal, amazing things happen. Right. And uh, it, it proves true time and time again. I'm going to have to pick your brain a little bit in the future because we're working on a, a creative community in Pontiac, Michigan okay. right now. And, and film would be a great asset to that portion of the downtown area because I agree with you. I totally agree with you that uh, when you are around like-minded individuals uh the momentum just continues to grow absolutely you know and it's you know the coffee shop that i would work at daily in austin and you know i every day i'd see another filmmaker who like i knew was working on something whether it was you know pj Raval or someone like um oh, what's his name who did a chess match and beeswack andrew brzezowski you know you know these people these filmmakers who have you know made it you know, you're sitting there, and you, if you want, you can bug them and ask them a question. PJ's cool about it. Um, and then you see other people that are making things as well. That You know, you're, you're asking, oh, are you shooting? Can, can you help on this day and all that? And Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a hub of creativity 
or at least it was when I was there. Well, and Austin is a rad town. I've been there. Uh, I played yeah. drums in a skate rock band, and we toured through Austin and played a few shows around there. And what cool community! It's very it's, cool. Yeah, it's. I know it's changing, uh, but hopefully, is enough of it still exists. Yeah. You know, from when I was there, it's been. I've been. A, it's been a while. You know, and I've seen a lot of changes here since I've been back. So. You know? Hopefully for the better. Hopefully yeah. for the better. What do you got? Do uh, you got anything cooking right now? I mean, obviously, uh, the Russian Five, I don't think it's going to chill out anytime no. real soon because, uh, really, there's there's room for growth. I mean, the momentum uh, in in this area yeah. has been amazing since it came out. But across the world, I see still room for growth. Do you have anything you're working on right now? You know, I've been kind of writing and developing a couple of show ideas, and, and there's a you know, one that's based on fact, uh, the Flint sit-down strike of the 30s that I'd love to sort of adapt into a, a mini-series. Uh, and then there's another thing kind of about growing up in Port Huron that uh, I will only describe as uh, Twin Peaks means H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs> um, interesting combination there. Uh, as I said, Port Huron's an interesting place to grow up. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know, working on a, a comedy western uh right now as well with actually the guy who played Todd Runge. Um, just we've decided to kind of kickstart our creative juices and so we're kind of writing a screenplay by uh, uh, Google Drive documents you know and yeah using taking advantage of the tools that we didn't have when we made Todd Runge to make something new um, so I don't know it's been a you know this has been seven years of my life uh, my entire 30s has been spent at this point working on the Russian Five in some capacity or another. So it's like weird to even comprehend that question. Um, but I'm honestly really looking forward to being like life without it. Uh, just because it has been such a large part of my life and it's, it's taken a lot of me to make it happen. Well, and you have to remember, uh, one of the things I often have to remember is you have to take time to arrive and not always be striving. You know, yep. you have to celebrate that. Yep. Uh, we're coming down to the last minute of the show. It goes quick. Yep. It really does go quick. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to sit down here. I mean, it has been an amazing interview, an amazing interview. And I, I think it's awesome because most people are just going to hear about the Russian Five and they get to tune in this and hear about <laughs> Joshua Real. So, um, um, with that, I want to say thanks once again, Josh. You're Thank welcome you. back here anytime, brother man, when you got new stuff coming out. Awesome. I appreciate it. Bring it, it back to NRM. Bring it to the drop-in, and we'll talk about it. Hopefully it won't be seven years. Huh? <laughs> You're right. I highly doubt it. And I want to thank you guys. You know what? You can only get it here on the drop-in. Mr. Joshua Real, ladies and gentlemen, that was a way over the fence home run on today's episode i want to thank you once again josh awesome stuff and i want to thank you guys just remember this isn't a dress rehearsal you get one shot get off your damn couch make life happen and that's what i'm gonna do josh doing it every day of his life and that's what i want you to do so without too much more i'm gerald valley that's joshua real and this is the drop-in